This is Nikki Bruno with the Epic Comeback Podcast, where warrior women who've been through absolute caca give you advice to get to the other side of yours. I am honored and very pleased today to have with me Kimmy Trafford. Thank you so much for being with me, Kimmy. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for letting me be on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely, Kimmy. So I cannot wait to get into the substance of this interview. You have an amazing story, Kimmy, and I would like to start simply by giving you the mic and asking you to introduce yourself for a bit. Um, let us know who you are and where you live and uh, what, are, what are you up to? What, do you, what keeps you busy during the day? Oh, I, I know we all love to talk about ourselves. I, I'm happy to introduce myself. Um, my name is Kimmy. I'm the mom of four adult children. One is married, one soon to be going down that path, and then two younger girls. I was educated in political science, and the study of power has come in really handy <laughs> for the last few years for me, as I um, have found myself in the middle of a uh, sort of a campaign, I guess you would say, of how we rethink, we need to rethink love and relationship, um, and the ability to work with people who are both healing, parents who are raising children that we want to enter out into the dating relationship, and also a big piece of this is preventing abuse, identifying and preventing abuse. So that, that's what my passion has become in the last few years. Um, and, I, and I can tell you more if you want to hear how that kind of develops as we go. That sounds wonderful. And I, I want to say right up front that, that we, share, we, share a, an ex, we share a passion. Um, emotional abuse and increasing awareness about emotional abuse is number one. It's, it's, it's my number one topic. And if I could, my plan is to create a foundation to increase awareness about emotional abuse, um, um, healthy relationships versus non-healthy, toxic, abusive, coercive, et cetera, types of relationships. And I really want um, to focus on girls and women who are about from the ages of 14 through about 19, because that's really when we're kind of, we're kind of entering our first serious romantic situations. Excellent. And I think my, my feeling is we need to even start before they get there so that we, we look at what's happening right now and kids are starting down the arena of um, sexual education, we'll call it, at 11, and they don't start dating until 14 or 15. So we do, we need to even push that back a little farther and keep them a little safer. And that's really the backstory of why I do what I do. Oh, that's so wonderful. So wonderful. We, uh, we definitely share that mission. So Kimmy, as you know, this is a podcast that's by and for uh, primarily women. I've had a few men, male guests, but primary, primarily women who have gone through absolute caca, crisis situations, trauma, life-shattering experience, whatever you choose to call it, I call it absolute caca. Would sure. you please um, just summarize what, what you went through and what was the worst part? Absolutely. So I was a child of divorce um, and I was raised by two amazing human beings who really weren't given a whole lot of help when it came to family and preparation. So I started out of the box on this whole dating and, and engagement and marriage thing, pretty paranoid, pretty insecure about how to work this through. And I look back now and I realize how extremely blessed I was to have married who I married. And like I said, I'm 30 years down the road of that. But I think I would like to take about 2% of the credit for that. Um, a lot of it was just he happened to have a really great and healthy heart. Um, but in the midst of doing all that insecure work of a parent, I did everything overboard. I, I homeschooled my kids. I learned to make my own bread. I, I did everything. I read every book about parenting. I did everything over, I almost puffed up, almost arrogant. And um, 
when it came to the dating years, I thought exactly what you just said. I, I want to make sure that my kids don't go into it blind and, and just kind of have to navigate through, especially I think you would probably agree the environment that they're navigating is much more brutal now than it even was when we were there. Um, so how can we do that? So we read books. I had the kids sign after we read a section. I if we wouldn't let them date in high school. So if there was one that was really interested in doing that, we would literally meet with the family. I, I can't emphasize enough. I was crazy. And I thought I was doing everything right. And mm -hmm. abuse still found my family. And it was devastating. And um, it's one thing to have something happen to you, but when you watch your children fall apart, it takes that pain to a place that I never thought was really there. And the only thing that brought me back from that was I, would, I was in deep depression for two years, suicidal, really tough, dark days. And um, what brought me out, surprisingly, was crawling myself to my computer, writing poetry, putting things with art, starting you know, things on Instagram, and then I went to Twitter, and then I went to Facebook, and then I started the YouTube and the blog. And, and so it just started to be a thing of pain, and then it became a thing of anger. And then working through that, it became this, I believe, sustained passion to believe we can prepare children in a way that will help them avoid all of this. And it sounds just like what you're saying. And the only way that that's going to happen, I believe, is by taking the um, pain of survivors and turning them into lessons and teaching our children to be able to see what they're headed into, to understand what the paradigm shifts are so that they can really be equipped to handle what's ahead of them. And I think that the best way to do that is through the social media outlet, hitting them in different ways. I love what you're saying. I think we can, I, we can really heal people that are hurting and take that healing. And I, somebody really wonderful once said, I listened to her, Dr. Langberg, she said, if we really want to help survivors, we give them a place to speak. We don't speak for them. We give them a place to speak. Mm -hmm. So let's let survivors speak their lessons and let's take that to children. So I applaud what you want, what you want to do. I'd love to see if there's any place that we could help each other do that. Um, it's now I'm working on a book to be able to do that. Um, so that's, that's the worst part was life really fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the puzzle piece is really scattered. And that's, and that's really, that's exactly what I'm talking about. When I talk about an epic comeback, I mean, in order for a comeback to be epic, kind of the prerequisite is that you're in a place of basically hell. You're in a place where you're in a place where you've, you've, you feel like you've lost everything and you're not sure at all how you're going to put the pieces back together. And, and honestly, you're not sure. I mean, in your, in your, in your case, if you were suicidal, not sure if you're going to get, if you, if you're going to get through it, it's not just how right. am I going to get through it? It's, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to make it period. I did, I, there were days that I didn't know. The good news for me was that I had already had a set up a worldview, a, a belief system that really, that was just ideation. It was never something that I, and I just feel fortunate in that. Um, not, not that I was above it all. Just, I, I was fortunate that I had that framework set up before it, but you're right. I, I don't think I ever, I never understood what depression looked like until I walked those walks. And I think loving people and watching them suffer is probably a real quick route to get there. And your children. I mean, I, you know, I have two kids, they're five, they're eight. It is no five. I mean, I, I watched the, the mildest tiny little version of bullying when my son was, I think my son was four at a, at a playground 
and I wanted to pummel that kid. It was so painful. It was just this tiny little bit of teasing and my son didn't even know what was happening. But anyway, I digress. You get it, you get it. <laughs> yeah. you get it. Well, and, and Kimmy, in, in addition to, in adi there's no real way consciously, I think, to prepare for something that hard. And it sounds like you really were focused on preparing for it. You really, you really wanted to avoid this, this calamity. And then it happened. And so there, there's only so much that we can do to, to prepare or to control what's, what's going to come down the pike when, right. you know, crap actually hits the fan. And one of the things that I think that it takes when you're in that kind of life shattering spot is that it takes warrior energy. It just does. I don't know what else to call it, right? Because it could be, you know, it, you could say that it, when you get through it and when you survive it day after day after day of being in such an awful place. Yes. You know, people ask me, how did you get through it? And I can give them like 10 different answers, but the really the truest answer is I'm not sure. <laughs> like I kept yeah. breathing, you know? And so it, it really, I mean, it takes a real warrior, warrior energy, mama bear energy, papa bear energy, whatever it is to get to that other side, to get to the other side of that, like kind of unsafe zone. And what I'd love to know from you is, you know, given, given what you've come back from, what is the best thing about being where you are right now? There's so many. Um, I think taking all the lessons from survivors and getting the DMs that I get or the emails, um, the little comments that I'll get on something on the blog, uh, being a part of the process of seeing someone heal and knowing that when that wisdom is placed in the hands of a parent or a young child that can grasp it or a young adult that can grasp it, um, the hope that it can prevent the kind of carnage that our family underwent is um, priceless. Mm. It's priceless. And to, to be able to see that direct conduit has been, you know, just a little thing. So it's like, I never thought about love that way. I mean, really what I'm working in is like, it's really a paradigm shift of how we look at love. To be able to have someone say, I didn't get it that way, but now I understand. And to know that that will protect them is priceless. <laughs> How do you, what is the paradigm shift? So if you, I mean, if you could sort of complete the sentence of, sure. some people look at love as blank and I'm helping people to shift and to look at love as blank. You know what I mean? So the overarching belief that I have is that watching what we've done to the idea of love is we've taken it from something that we do to something that we feel. And we have put it, what I call a narcissistic bent on love. Mm -hmm. So that really, when we think about what we want from love, we talk about what we, the list of things we want from love. The problem is when we reduce love to a feeling, it will just as easily leave as it came. And if we reduce it to a feeling, then we can be manipulated by abusers. So we have to look at love, I believe, and shift it and say love is a choice that we make. It doesn't happen to us. It's not magical. Does it have magical attributes? Yes, it's beautiful. But it is not magical. It is a choice we make. It is a muscle we exercise. If we can make that shift, I believe that inherent in that is an anti-abuse protectant because when someone treats us in a way that is not loving, we see that. But if we literally think that it's a feeling, think about how many people you know and have endured and that, that hell you talked about because they believe this person loves me. 
Yes, it hurts, but that they love me. And once you realize love is not a feeling, you can let that go and say, this person is not loving. That's the shift. <laughs> wow. You know what came up for me on a personal note? What came up for me is that um, when I was married, my husband at the time, he, there would be times when he would say something in a, in a way that was impolite, where he was sort of ordering me around or just kind of moments where I would say, you know, a please would be really nice there. Or, you know, I would appreciate if you would say that. And, and what he would say was, well, um, you know, you, you know that, you know that I, he would kind of say like the please is implied. I shouldn't have to say those niceties and stuff with you because we're already close and you already know that I love you. And, yeah. um, and, and that's, he basically was kind of like, that's just crap. You know, that's stuff that, that's stuff that, that you should be able to take for granted. That's not a big deal. And I, just, that didn't sit right with me. That made my gut go away because I was like, actually the people who we, you know, my belief is that the people we love the most are in the people we spend the most time with. These are the people who, who um, we ought to be showering with acts of love and showering with consideration and showering with, with those niceties and politeness and bless yous and, um, and just showing them that we care. And when that stops. Yeah, what that's not love. And, and the two pieces that I hear from that is, first of all, what you need matters. And you didn't realize that maybe right off, but that's probably where your gut came from is something that you need should matter to them. If it doesn't, that's a big red flag. And the other thing is saying I love you doesn't mean anything. And, and I even actually had a post a couple of weeks ago that said, you know, d make sure you teach your kids that saying I love you doesn't make everything okay. You know, it just doesn't. And, and we have to kind of train kids to understand, don't listen, watch. Don't listen, watch. And, and I think that's, those are practical things we can get into their hands that I think could make a big difference. And it might keep us from getting involved with these people in a way that entangles us for years and years and decades. Yes, yes, where you're actually asking those questions. You're actually asking the question of, here's another, uh, one, one other example. And I know this is a shorter podcast, but I'm having a blast here because it's so, what we're talking about is so meaningful. So. I was on a date once and this wasn't too long ago and it was about a two and a half hour date. It was over dinner. And I was, uh, I'm, I'm a very curious person and I'm always asking people about themselves and you know, how was your date today? And like, what, you know, what are you passionate about and everything? And I was noticing, because now I notice these things, I have trained myself to notice these things, that in two and a half hours, he didn't ask me one question about myself. Oh, on a date, they should be on their best behavior. <laughs> and, I, and my conclusion from that was, I don't care if I'm physically attracted to this person. I don't care if he's acting nice. I don't care if he has an amazing dating resume. I don't care about anything other than the fact that if he had any interest in learning anything about me, he would have asked me something unless he was just so shy and so nervous, shy. socially yeah, anxious. That's, that's one thing that you can consider, but that wasn't really, I don't think that was really the case here. And even if it had been, you know, to me, if someone's naturally curious enough to find out even just one thing and ask a few questions. Oh, well, tell me more about that. Or, you know, so what do you like to do in your free time? Not one question. Not one. I, you know, to me, honestly, I, I have kind of a, a rule that I tell my friends that are still in the dating world. I have like a two date minimum. And here's the reason why. <laughs> if, if he was like really literally like that self-centered and awful, he would confirm it on the second date. And someone who's extraordinarily narcissistic would never do that. 
They, they would never be, they, they would make you leave the date thinking this person is for me. Mm-hmm. So that I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that you brought up because I think, unfortunately, when I hear someone say he's too good to be true or she's too good to be true, I say, you're probably right. So when they really blow it, I tend to think, go on a second date, but only you can know your own gut. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I wasn't really attracted to him, so that was just, that was bad. It it definitely wasn't worth a second date, but, um, sure. Everybody knows their own. My point is, is that I might not have even noticed that 12 years ago, you know, or I don't know, 20 years ago when I was like, when I was last really actively dating. So, well, okay, so let's let's move on here. Yeah. I, another thing that I'm another thing that I'm wondering, Kimmy, is sure. um, if you have any suggestions, maybe some other warriors who've got pretty amazing epic comeback stories, perhaps who've inspired you on your journey, um, who would be really good guests on this podcast? Does anybody come to mind? So there's a woman that I and, and she seems and I, I don't know how she does a counseling and she does a lot of blended family work and she does a lot of work. I just saw something, a really great series she did on, it wasn't forgiveness. It was on a lying mm-hmm. and her name is Judy Grable, G-R-A-B-I-L-L. And she's also goes under on Facebook step family coach. I have never gotten to talk to her, but I've gotten to go back and forth a good bit in writing. And I just thought, you know, for your audience that, you know, they're probably thinking, you know, what's the, best and healthiest way to move forward after you've been through so much. I thought that might be a really good fit for your niche that that would be helpful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that, Kimmy. Sure. And at this point, we've really come to the essence of this podcast. Um, the, the goal of this podcast is to provide people, particularly women who are going through a crisis situation or a life-shattering situation right now, who are in that place that you were describing of depression how am I going to get through? Will I get through? And to ask folks who have staged epic comebacks, who are on the other side, what is a piece of advice that you would give to people who are going through the caca right now? So I, I can almost feel how I felt. I remember standing in my kitchen at the island and I, it was a moment where for so many, probably over a year, I kept thinking, when's it going to end? When's it going to end? When am I going to feel like there's something normal in my world again? I, I made the decision to lean into the pain. I, for so long, I was trying to fight it. And I was trying to, and like I'm, I'd given up trying. I didn't go to bed some days. I didn't try to pretend it. But I would at least try to get up. And that was the day I decided to lean into the pain. And... I think what I realized about myself, and I hope this is helpful to somebody else, besides the humility part that's huge, that like I said, I thought I was doing everything right. I think the way I was living was pushing me to the place where I ended up, regardless of what I endured that put me there. I think sometimes we find that we have to make changes to keep going and being healthy. So if I lean into the pain, that pain is going to change me. And I have come out the other side with the ability to navigate things extraordinarily differently. I'm not the same person I was when I started. And I hope that's going to be enough to keep me out of that place. So I hope that helps lean into the pain, let it teach you the lessons, stop trying to figure out when it's going to lift and let it do its work. So when you say lean into the pain, um, first of all, there's so much wisdom in what you're saying, I believe. Uh, And second of all, when I want to ask you to clarify what you mean by that, because I, you know, I have an interpretation of what people mean when they say lean into something. Sure. Um, what, what does that mean for you? And how do you do it? Like, how did you do that? 
So for me, it, uh, it meant looking at what was unspeakable to me, the things that had happened, the things that under my nose had occurred, things that I should have known that I didn't know, these kinds of things that just kept you up at night. And, and, I, and I remember it was a woman named Beth Moore that once said, you need to let the things in your life take you to the floor and know that you can lift back up again. So it was going down into those worst thoughts, those things that I had fought to realize how much I, I could have done, should have done, should have known, that letting myself feel that was leaning into that pain and then freeing myself of it was extricating myself from what I could not control and learning the hard lessons and then getting back up and being changed by the fact that Sometimes it is our own pride that gets us places, our own thinking that we can do everything. I mean, I, I can't, humility just was threaded through this environment for me, this experience. So that's what I mean. I don't know, is that clearer? Yeah, it is to me. It is to yeah. me. Letting, something, letting it take you to the floor and really, to me, it, to me, it sounds like you really, take you to the floor was really what made it clearer for me. And it sounds like you, you, you really allowed yourself to feel, fully feel, because I have this thing that I call the cycle of feeling where in order to get from, from kind of one side to another side of an emotion, I think, I think what needs to happen is like, we have to acknowledge it and yeah. we have to express it. And then, and we have to process it. We have to go there. We have to go, go spend time inside of it with the absolute like brutal truth of what it is. There's yes. something about like radical honesty there. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And I think that it is the fear that keeps us down. And if we are willing to stare it in the face, yeah. it can't hold us back anymore. That's right. That's right. And many of us, many of us can't do that without the help of, of you know, a trained professional, without the help of a therapist, without the help of a psychologist, without the help in particular can be with a therapist who specializes in trauma. Yes, I had some of that and, 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 you know, going through the trauma experience with this person in my family, learned an awful lot, um, got, got my own little mini degree on how amazing our brains are put together and how much we need to be respectful of the fact that unwinding that protection is tough. So you're right. I think, I think that's a really great way to describe it. I think getting rid of the fear and, and facing it, like you said, I think that's right. I think that's right. And, I, and the people that are there, all I can say is that, my heart says that it feels like tomorrow won't be better, but one tomorrow will be. And you just, you can't just, th don't throw the net out on which one it's going to be and just wait for it. One tomorrow will be. Yeah. Yes. One tomorrow will be. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm so with you on that. There's something about that, like um, hitting bottom, you know, in the, in the world of, of recovery and addiction and alcoholism and, um, there's something about hitting bottom. I, I don't know the language really. I don't know the language intimately, but but it's something about where you hit that low and you bottom out. And after that, there's nowhere to go but up. I look at it as an emptying of self. For me, and that may not be for everybody, but an emptying of self. I tried to do it all on my own. I tried to do it all right. I, I thought that I can I can make this path. I can make this happen. And in other areas of triumph, I've been able to do that. So I thought this is just another one. And it was not. And that's good though, right? Humility is good. Knowing where your limitations are is good. It's powerful. It's healthy. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's good. something that's, sorry. It's something that's hard to, it's something that's very hard to face when you've been a very competent, 
intelligent, independent person your whole life. Right. But there are things that smack us in the face that there's no reason to come back from alone. There's no, there's no need to do that. There's no need to do that as long as there's even one person that we trust in our life to right. support us unconditionally, to love us unconditionally, even just one, one person. Yes, yes. In the community, right? The community of people that are healing, the people that you're wanting to pull together and help, that it's a beautiful community of people, um, really beautiful. And, and you, can't be, you can't go there unless you've been broken. Yeah, geez. Well, on a much lighter note, what I would <laughs> like you to what I like to ask you now, Kimmy, is since this is a podcast about being epic, I would love to know if you could have one superpower that you do definitely not already have. So you can't have the superpower already. What would it be? Well, I definitely don't have it. And this took me all day because I'm just not funny or light. I wish I was. Like, like we have a joke that I'm too British to be funny. But I think... Um, you don't have to be funny. I know, I'm not funny. But I, I, I thought this is such a good question for people that have a good little sense of humor. But I, I just don't think I have much of one. Mine's strange anyway. But I think that it would be amazing to be able... And this is going to, I think, resonate with you. To be able to speak to all ages, which I can't at my age, to be able to speak to all nationalities and, and, um, and countries and cultures and levels of wounding, and to be able to speak truths that people can understand. Mm-hmm. And that would be, can you imagine that? I think about that in terms of the superpower and think if you could just speak in a language that people would get. And, and sometimes don't you feel like you speak to people and you feel like it's just bouncing off all the walls and you want it to reach their heart, but it's not there. So that would be a superpower, to have words that really reach the heart. It's not light, but that would be my superpower if I could pick one. Well, there have been multiple coincidences on this podcast, on this particular episode, and this one's <laughs> another one, because, um, because my, my answer to this question is that I would be able to speak all of the languages in the world. Oh my gosh, we are very similar. Yeah. Our, my, our minds must go down the same track. That's pretty yeah. cool. If I, I mean, if I had a genie offer me a, a three wishes on a lamp, I would rub the lamp and I would wish to speak every language in the world. Oh, well, there we go. And, and I think it's all from a place of if we could really reach every heart, there would never be another person that would have to go through finding out love is not a fairy tale, you know? My Lord. So, yeah. That's rough stuff. Yeah. Jewel, um, well, I want to, I want to, Kimmy, I want to thank you for being with me today. And I also would like to know how can we find you and follow you on social media? Absolutely. Um, so worth the war is my, and it's about love is worth the war is what I go by on Twitter and Instagram. I have two on Facebook cause I might merge them someday. One does just my stuff. The other does kind of, uh, random thoughts and ideas. One is love is worth the war and one is worth the war on Facebook. Blog is worththewar.com and I'm worth the war on YouTube and there's no spaces in any of that. So pretty much if you get worth the war and if you think love is worth fighting for, then then you can find me just about anywhere, but I'm not on TikTok because I don't dance. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to admit, I have not delved into TikTok either. I do like to Snapchat. Like, I would love to do Snapchat. I can't figure, I can't get past the front page of it. I don't even know what, it, I sit there and go, I don't even know what this is. Oh, so, my goodness we'll gracious. All righty then. Well, folks, this is Nikki Bruno on the Epic Comeback podcast with Kimmy Trafford. 
if you have, if you, for more great ideas, pardon me, on staging an epic comeback after a life-shattering experience in your life, please visit theepiccomeback.com.